But when a sermon is a faithful exposition of the Word of God, faithfully preached, it's actually Christ who speaks by His Spirit through His Word in that sermon. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Are you in the Orange County or Santa Ana area? We are exploring a church plant, Santa Ana Reformed, with the oversight and accountability of Oceanside URC and Reverend Danny Hyde. If you are interested or you know someone who might be interested in the area, please check out our show notes for a link to sign up for updates. Our Twitter or Instagram at guiltgracepod or Santa Ana URC for the same sign up link or simply email us at santaannareformed at gmail.com. We begin meetings on October 28th at 6.30 p.m. at 4th Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. Now on with the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast. I'm featuring Nick Fulweiler and Peter Bell. It's another fresh day of grace and mercy. And uh, this week we have Dr. John Curry. We, um, like I've said before, we're doing something extra special in season two. We're interviewing top theologians and pastors on topics they have extensive research and knowledge on based on the Reformed Church. So we'll be trying to deliver this in a concise way, responding to some of the most common questions both believers and non-believers have. I'll go ahead and let uh, Peter uh, further introduce Dr. Curry. Yeah, so we have Dr. John Curry, like the food, Dr. John Curry, um, who's the professor of pastoral theology at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. Um, teaches a lot of courses on either counseling or preaching, expository preaching. We'll, we'll explain some of that stuff, what that stuff is in the podcast. He's been teaching there for the last two years, but he's been a pastor for a lot longer than that. Um, ordained in the OPC, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, uh, was even a pastor before that. So he's got extensive pastoral experience. So we are super excited to have him on. Welcome to the show, Dr. Curry. Thank you. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be with you both. Thank you. Yeah, like we mentioned, we're doing uh, preaching in worship, and I'm just going to ask you a handful of questions, and you're the focus of today. So you go ahead and, you know, I always make this this food joke, you are the meat and potatoes, <laughs> but I guess you're also the curry. I'm also <laughs> the, yeah, and I've, I haven't, you know, like I said to you when we were uh, introducing ourselves to each other, nobody, I've never heard a curry joke about my name before, except for, you know, since I was six. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. so, so, the, uh, so, so go ahead. If you, if you can think of it, I've probably heard it. So, yeah. Don't, don't tempt Nick. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the jokester of the two. Um, Okay, perfect. So first question, what is the function of the sermon in the context of a Reformed worship service? Yeah, well, great question. First of all, thank you for the privilege of being able to address it and uh, address uh, these, this topic of uh, preaching and pastoring in, uh, a, in a Reformed context, in the context of worship. You know, nothing is more important than what we do in life than 
the worship that we give to uh, to the living God, to our covenant God, one who made us, and if we're in Jesus Christ, uh, who has redeemed us and uh, re- restored us to what He has called, He created us to do, which is to, as uh, we like to quote in shorthand, but is just right at the heart of their Christian faith is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So uh, in that context, you know, we're, we're and worship is the centerpiece of that relationship, the centerpiece of that activity and that call. So in terms of preaching, preaching is the opening up of the inscripturated word of God, uh, the word of God that is inspired, it's inerrant, it's authoritative, and it's sufficient as God's word uh, to his people and to his world. So the function of the sermon in the context of Christian worship and by reformed worship, I I just take it to be worship that is uh, uh, shaped and saturated with scripture, shaped by scripture. Uh, We, we, in in a reformed context, we call that the regulative principle that we do that which is prescribed by scripture in our worship services. And I think saturated with scripture. It's not just that it's shaped as regulated, but that scripture runs through it. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there should be a lot of scripture in a biblically reformed worship service. Scripture reading, scripture prayed, scripture sung. But the sermon has a unique and central place in that, Nick. Um, one of the features of the, of the historical movement that we call the Reformation was that it took the pulpit and moved it back to the center of church architecture, saying that the, the, the word of God is central, uh, not just to the worship service, but to the life of the church. So the function of the sermon is to bring the word of God, as I would put it, the word of God through the man of God, empowered by the spirit of God to the people of God. So when the, when, the, when the sermon is faithfully preached, uh, we see this in a number of places in Scripture. But when a sermon is a faithful exposition of the Word of God, faithfully preached, it's actually Christ who speaks by His Spirit through His Word in that sermon. Uh, so that uh, to the degree that uh, a Reformed theologian called Thomas Goodwin in uh, commenting on a passage in Hebrews said, uh, I'm just going to paraphrase it. He says, Christ, uh, when, when, the, when he's so with his ministers, uh, when they preach the word, Christ is so with his ministers, it's as though he has his pulpit in heaven. And so the function of the, of the sermon in a reform, biblically reformed worship service is to bring the word of Christ, the word of God, by the Spirit of God uh, to the people, and that's central. And it, it, and the, the next thing I would say is that that this that that activity of preaching, in my theology, in my view, my philosophy of ministry, is actually what drives the church. So it's it's not just the Word of God for the moment; it's the Word of God that actually shapes the entire life of the Christian community, the church community. We can talk more about that down the road if you want to. But so essentially, it's to, it's to bring the word of the living God uh, to God's people. And central to that is to bring the gospel. 
is to proclaim Jesus Christ in his person and in the fullness of his finished work as the center of, of uh, biblical revelation. It's to proclaim the gospel and all that we receive from God graciously in Christ by faith to proclaim that to the people who hear our sermons. So uh, I would say the function of the sermon is to bring the word of God to the people of God and central to that to bring the gospel as the, as the, as the it's center to that message in the people's lives. Mm, yeah, I love it. That's, I think I'd heard before um, preaching was a part of worship and amongst other things, the singing and the discipleship groups during the, during the week. And so it's just kind of one portion of the church amongst many portions versus it being the driving force of yeah. the church, bringing it to where it needs to be. Yeah. 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 I would want to say, uh, there's a number of reasons I want to say that. Now that's taught to diminish the other parts of the worship service. Totally. But as, but as one person has put it uh, that I heard in the past, you know, at least what we would try to do in our churches, and I think maybe um, our, our mutual friend Brennan had talked to you a little bit about this. Yeah. Uh, what we tried to do was organize worship like a symphony around the sermon. Mm. So all of our worship was theologically driven, but our scripture texts, our songs, mm. uh, our prayers, we, we tried to use the sermon, let the sermon and the content of that sermon shape everything that was going on. Everything else, else is going around is vitally important. And we would take a dialogical approach to our worship and uh, have have all of those elements of biblical worship but the sermon would shape it it would give it its 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 tone its tenor uh it would give it it would give the whole worship service its theme uh so i think it's central for that reason it's also central because i think it's uh it's 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 through the word of christ uh administered by the spirit of christ through the servants of christ hmm. that jesus actually leads his church hmm. Uh, it, it's that's that's how Jesus governs and guides his church is through the word of God. Hmm. And so I think that's why I said not only is the sermon central, but the sermon. Um, I mean, if you look at the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. OK, I'll give you a, a real quick. The life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. He's he, you know, he 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 says at the end of the gospel of Luke, I must preach the gospel of the kingdom in other towns and cities as well. For I was sent for this purpose. He was sent for the purpose to preach, to preach. Uh, himself and his finished work as he would inaugurate his kingdom. And you follow through the gospels and Jesus is he's preaching and preaching and preaching and his word is central. And then at the end of the gospel of Luke, when Jesus uh, commissions his apostles, he tells them to preach the word, uh, the Old Testament scriptures, the, 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 the prophets, the Psalms, that, that point to him and his, his suffering, death, and resurrection. And that, that's to be preached to all nations, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And you follow the book of Acts, what you find the apostles doing primarily is preaching Christ from the word. And then when Jesus, the ascended Christ, gives gifts to his church, Ephesians chapter 4, pride of place is given to 4, 11, and 12 to the ministers of the word. So uh, the way that Jesus has ordered his church, he inaugurates his kingdom, he extends his kingdom, he orders his church, he governs and guides it and gives life to it through his word, by his spirit, preached by his servants. And so that's, that's why I think the preaching of the word is not only central to the worship service, I think it's central to the life of the church. Mm. Love it, yeah. 
Yeah, I like how you emphasize the gospel every sermon because um, I imagine from when where you're standing when you're preaching, you can't see every single person that walks right. in and out. So there might be a new person that's never been to church before and they finally like, all right, I'm going to go. And it would be such a shame if they went and they left and they didn't right. hear the gospel. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And on the flip side, you could be going to church every Sunday for your entire life and we need to hear it every Sunday. You remind Amen. us. So yeah. Right. It's so important. Yeah, right. Um, how does the New Testament form our understanding of the pastoral office and the, in, and the visible church? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the way you framed the question is interesting. And, you know, you guys have mentioned that the, the purpose or part of the purpose of your podcast is to bring a reformed understanding. And, um, and by that, we mean, you know, uh, uh, understanding that is reformed according to Scripture and stands on the shoulders of the theological tradition that goes all the way back to the Reformation. Yep. Um, the... Uh, and, and the way you framed the question, it's, it's interesting. In a lot of circles, the question wouldn't even be asked that way, Nick. The pastoral office. Uh, so I think you picked up on something, that it's an office. So Christ is a king, is the king, and his church is his kingdom. And he has, by his uh, sovereign appointment, established officers. His stewards, uh, his servants, whose job it is to execute his will through his word. So uh, as pastors, we don't get to make up church. We don't get to uh, custom design it. We don't get to either in its mission or its message. Uh, we are as officers, so as officers, we are the, a, a dominant theme in the New Testament is stewards it's it, the church the life of the church the people of, of god the ministries of the church the mission of the church are entrusted to the officers the pastors the elders and the deacons so it's an office it's something to which you are called and and to which you are appointed uh, by if i could put it this way the master by the king you're his servant so um uh, as is you know there's the, you know there's dominant terms that are used there's the episcopos and the presbyteros and um uh, uh poimen the shepherd and um episcopos is, a, is the overseer and you have been given the the duty and responsibility of of oversight and uh and and that is something that is that is that is yours uh, again uh you don't you don't Put yourself into it you don't um, take it to yourself but um, the lord calls you to it both internally by the work of his spirit and externally by the confirmation of his church so i think the new testament to your question nick teaches us to think about it as an office uh, to think about it as an official role that is actually under the authority and exercises the authority of Christ the King as head of the church. A couple of places that I think are significant is that amongst others uh, to pick this up, uh, you know, is the way that it's the way that it's put in um, 
you know, in Ephesians chapter one, at the end of Ephesians chapter one, where uh, Jesus, uh, the exalted Christ, has given his head over all things to the church. So you get the picture there that here you have the ruler of the cosmos, who is also the head of the church, which is his body. The church is his body, which the the the, the, uh, the fullness of him who fills all in all at the end of Ephesians one. So here's the sovereign. And he's the head over all things for the church. Well, then you get to Ephesians chapter four and he says, and he gave gifts to the church, um, gifts to each one, uh, Ephesians four, seven, and then down to Ephesians four, 11 and 12, he gave uh, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to build up that body, to equip that body. And, um, for the work of the uh, equipment for the work of the ministry and so what you see is jesus exalted as king now gives his servants who are stewards of the word so there's an official uh calling and designation and setting apart and then you get places like acts chapter 20 when the apostle paul tells the ephesian elders the presbyteros actually all three terms are used there of the same men in acts 20 when the apostle paul says that the Holy Spirit has set you apart to shepherd the church of God. Uh, so you have that official um, uh, designation. Here, one more thing, one other place, other places we could go, but one other thing I'd point to, the end of 1 Timothy chapter 6, and then 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17, when Paul refers to Timothy as the man of God, the man of God. Now, that, that's not just godly man. It's no less than that. But he's actually alluding to the Old Testament um, designation of the prophet. You know, Moses was the man of God. Elijah was the man of God. David's even called the man of God. And so, so the pastor of the church, the pastor is being called the man of God. God's man set apart for God's purpose to administer God's word to God's people. So uh, and answer your question, Nick, I think the New Testament teaches us to think about the pastoral office as an office as something to which a man is called and set apart and appointed as a steward, uh, as a servant uh, by the head of the church, the Lord Jesus. I, I would start there. I got nothing to add. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, <clears throat> I like it. Is that, is that getting at your question? I think there's a second half of that or something I missed, wasn't there? No, I think you can. Yeah, you answered it. Um, well, it said in the the of the pastoral office and the visible church. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, I think uh, that was a part. I thought I think that's interesting to 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 realize that that uh, there is such a thing as the visible church. It's a it's it's an entity on earth. It is a gathered. It's it's the it's the gathered assembly that Christ has called from the world to Himself. And he has, he's given it. So I think one of the, the, the things I picked up in your question, Nick, is that uh, you have a body that's identifiable, that has a constitution, that has an order to it. And part of that order in that constitution is he's given it leaders. And those leaders are officers and they fill different roles. Uh, but so, so it's, it's not kind of a, hey, you know, the, the alternative, one of, one of the other alternatives is a notion of the church that says, well, it, it's just a voluntary gathering of a group of people who want to get together. And we kind of make up what it looks like. 
that, that's a caricature, but a lot of us came out of, uh, a lot of us came out of uh, environments where that was the case. Uh, not that the gospel wasn't there, uh, not that people weren't converted and even grow in, in, in likeness uh, to and, and uh, love for Christ. Uh, but it, we can think of the church as this voluntary assembly rather than a people who have been called by the sovereign God into being a body to whom he's given a constitution and his word and who he's given structure and officers. So uh, I think I think the question is important for those who are trying to think through a reformed and biblical view of ministry. Yeah, that's a that's a huge distinction and huge answer versus what can we do in church versus what has the Bible, what is New Testament, Old Testament shown us right. to do and how has Christ established the church? Not what do we want to do, it's how is it established for us. Right. Right. Yeah, and I've found that to be honest, I've found that to be one of the great joys of decades of pastoral ministry is rather than um, feeling enslaved to being, um, you know, I'm going to come back and qualify this in a minute, but feeling in, feeling enslaved to uh, to be to the trends of of, uh, the, of whatever culture you happen to be in, the great joy of pastoral ministry has been combing the scriptures to discover what and who God created the church to be. And to when you when you discover that uh, the creator of all things and the head of the cosmos, who is the savior of all those who are joined to him, has actually a design and a plan for how our worship, our fellowship, our ministry, our mission together works. Uh, it's it, it's it's a great joy, and uh, I, I would that you know more pastors and young pastors would go on that pilgrimage of what has the scripture said and how and then see then i think that the issue is this is where i want to come back and qualify i think there is such a thing as contextualization um it's taking what the bible says and making it concrete in the context the time and the place in which you live it's not letting the time and the place in which you live determine what you do uh, those are two different things so I think we are called to wisely apply what the scripture says, taking the counsel of those who have gone before us on whose shoulders we stand from the history of the church and, and put that into practice in the context in which God has sovereignly placed us. But that's different than saying, well, we got to figure out what the trends of the context are, then do that. I think that's enslavement. The other one's a joy. Yeah. Amen uh, to that. Culture can always change. And right. Bible doesn't right truth truth doesn't change God but <laughs> no. culture does so yeah it's a little it's a rock solid foundation to stand on with yeah. the word of God versus just fleeting from culture to culture yeah primarily yeah. you know yes it's a solid rock and a sure guide mm. What should a believer look for in a, in the pastor as a leader of the flock? And what are signs that he is not leading well and or staying and or straying from the gospel? Yeah. Well, uh, I, let me let me try to give you a, a way that that we in, in our work here try to characterize. 
or summarize what we are trying to train guys into. We talk about character, convictions, and competencies. That the man of God has to be a man of uh, increasing, mature, Christ-like character. Uh, that, that he is, by the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells him, continuing to pursue increased conformity through a life of repentance and faith, increased conformity to the image of Jesus Christ, which is the purpose for which God has saved us and redeemed us. He is going to conform us to the image of Jesus. So you, 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 number one, you want a man of character. And I think it's interesting when you look at the qualifications that are given to us in the pastoral, predominantly they are character qualifications. There's a couple of competency issues. And then you have laced through them convictions issues. You know, they hold fast the faithful word. They hold the tradition, the, 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 the apostolic tradition. They guard the trust. But when you look at the lists of, uh, of qualifications as they're given in lists, they're predominantly character related. So you want a man of character who is mature, not perfect, but mature and increasing, to, in, increasing in maturity in Christ-like character. Second, you want to, a man of convictions. Um, now, I, I put it that way because it's not just he has knowledge, but he's actually committed with his life to that which he knows. So you can have guys who know their theology, um, but they're not um, uh, guys who know their theology, but, but they're not committed to it. They won't die for it. They won't stand for it. So you want men of conviction. You want them to be, they, so you want them to have biblical theology. You, you, uh, their theology is biblical. And I would say if their theology is biblical, it will be confessional. It will, it will be summarized uh, in the Reformed confessions and the Orthodox creeds of the church. So you want them to have biblical content that are convictions um, that's drawn from Scripture and, 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 he, and subscribed to those great summaries of Christian doctrine. And then you want them to have certain competencies. You want them to, uh, to have the, the, the abilities to be able to preach uh, Christ-centered, spirit-filled, expository sermons. Uh, you want them to be able to lead the church. Uh, you want them to be able to lead leaders to the churches, uh, the ministries that the, that the Lord has given to the church and the mission that he's given to the church. You want them to be able to care for souls. You want them to be able to know how to listen uh, to uh, the ongoing personal pastoral problems and do what we call the private ministry of the word, apply the word to their lives. Sometimes that's called counseling. Um, we call it pastoral care um, the, and the care of souls, uh, biblical counseling. Um, so you want them to be able to, I think, and you want them to be able to do the work of evangelism. You want them to be able to present the gospel in a way that invites people to believe in Jesus and can actually lead the church to do that. So I think you want them to have competencies in four areas, preaching, leadership, pastoral care, and counseling and evangelism. So uh, that's a quick way to summarize it. We can go deep in any of those. Yeah, cool. And that's, I think that's helpful too with a lot of our listeners who are looking into the Reformed faith and don't know much about it, or just looking yeah. at, I'm a non-believer, I don't know anything about the church, how do right. I distinguish this church from this church or this pastor from this pastor? Right. And it gives good categories for knowing when they walk into the church, 
is this church being led by a faithful preacher, a faithful right. pastor who knows what he's doing, knows the word, and is somebody that I can follow? Well, I'd say that's the number one thing. You want to, you, what's coming off that pulpit? Um, and if, if, even if a guy doesn't have a lot of the other stuff together yet, uh, uh, content-wise, if he's preaching, if he's under the word, preaching expository sermons from the word, you have hope that that church can go in the right direction. If he's over the word, critiquing the word, or using the word rather than being used by the word, uh, it, you know, th that church is going to go in the wrong direction at some point. So the first thing that you're looking for is what's coming off the pulpit. Um, and you want it to be a man of character who's preaching that word from the pulpit. And then you then you can build the other step uh, from there. Yeah, and going back to our kind of answers, part of that first question too, just there foundation and what they their their default is always the gospel right just talking about the gospel a lot and bringing everything back to jesus in the gospel right yeah 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 right yeah um so how can the congregation support their pastor yeah uh well uh i you know it's going to sound predictable but uh, uh, through prayer, uh, you know, sometimes what congregations can do um, is expect a lot of the right things from their pastor, but not realize that, uh, that they are, in order for them to be able to faithfully deliver the right things, they're, they're dependent on the Lord. And one of, one of the ways that the Lord works uh, and in meeting their need is through your prayers. It's very interesting. Uh, just follow the number of times there's a the number of times that Paul says that uh, that I'll be helped through your prayers. Uh, in that section, Ephesians chapter six uh, on spiritual warfare, uh, actually the way it's constructed down in about chapter six, it might be verse eighteen. The way you put the armor on is praying, and then he says, and pray also for us, for the preaching of the word. Um, so I think we can forget how important it is for us in congregations to pray for our pastors. We can expect a lot, but forget to pray for them. So I, I think to pray. For, and, and then I think I want to make I want to say even when you notice there are problems, pray first. You know, we, we can think our job is to first complain or to first critique. Pray first. Pray for where the challenges are, where you see the challenges. One of the things that happens is when, when you're praying for your pastor, sometimes the Lord works on you and you realize you've got a, a dispositional problem or an attitude problem. But the Lord, if he's going to change something he needs to change, the Lord's got to do it. So pray for him. The second thing I do is I'd say speak well of him. Um, speak well of him to others. Speak well of him with others. Um, if you've got an issue with your pastor, go talk to your pastor. Don't talk to six other people first. Um, and I think there's you know, biblical precedence for that, but it's also relationally um, uh, really important uh, for your relationship to your pastor, uh, that you're honoring him as an image bearer, as a brother in Christ. Uh, so if you've got an issue, talk to him. And, and, be, and then as you talk to him, be instructable. Uh, maybe you don't understand everything. Uh, maybe there's challenges you're not aware of. Be prepared to be uh, persuaded. So I, I think that there, those are ways, that, those are at least some initial ways that you can be supportive 
uh, of your pastor. And then, you know, and then I think, I mean, this, the scriptures speak of this, so we can speak of it. Uh, contribute your offerings to your church, your tithes and offerings, because that's how he gets, that's how the worker gets uh, his hire, gets paid. Uh, so I think that's a way to support your pastor. Uh, if you're benefiting spiritually, uh, you contribute materially. Uh, and the scriptures talk to us about being faithful in that. I think another way, if you go to the end of the Hebrews, is to Hebrews is to consider those who preach the word to you and imitate their way of life and their, their faith and way of life. Um, and uh, when you see things in your pastor that are imitatable, uh, you can encourage him with the grace that's in his life. Uh, those are a few initial thoughts. All right, last question here. Other than preaching a sermon, what are the responsibilities of a pastor? Yeah, well, uh, the way I think I want to put that is to say, I think the pastor's primary, you, you go to Acts chapter six and you get a good picture of the pastor's primary responsibilities in the way that the apostles, how, what they prioritized over some other really important and good things that they could have done. And they said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the preaching of the word. Now, sometimes in our instinct to put the word central, we can mix the order of those up and think they said preaching and prayer. And, and, and just naturally, I think what often gets neglected in our ministries is our prayer. So I think the two primary things that a pastor does is prayer and the preaching of the word. That, now, that doesn't just mean pray before the sermon and preach a sermon. Because that prayer ministry, that ministry of intercession and prayer with people, has all sorts of expressions to it. And that uh, uh, preaching of the word ministry has both public and private expressions. So I think the pastor has, their, his primary responsibility is, the, is, the, is prayer and preaching of the word of God particularly where we started your, your questions in the context of the worship service, which is at the center of the life of the church. But there's also the private ministry of the word. And what we talked about earlier is the care of souls. So the pastor has the duty to be involved in the life of the people that God has entrusted to his church, to know them, to know their needs, to know their temptations, and to be able to bring the word of God to bear in their lives for comfort or for correction in those private contexts as well. So um, to put priority on the preaching of the word is not is to not to say, say we believe in the exclusivity of the word preached. Uh, there are other things that need to take place as well, duties as you put it. Uh, so the private care of souls. I think the other thing is also uh, providing leadership uh, from the word, uh, so the wisdom of leadership from the word for the other leaders in the church, helping uh, the elders of the church make uh, wise, godly decisions by giving them biblical precepts and biblical patterns. Um, so there's so there's leadership responsibility. I think Second Timothy chapter two verse two, the pastor has the responsibility to invest in a next generation of leaders so that there are faithful men who are able to teach others also. Uh, so um, while the preaching of the word is his primary responsibility from which he should not allow other things to distract, he has other duties and responsibilities in pastoral care and pastoral leadership 
Um, and then I think that ministry of the word to those who are yet outside the church is, you know, first Timothy chapter, uh, pardon me, second Timothy chapter four, do the work of an evangelist. I think a pastor has to get outside the walls of the church and get with unbelievers and those who are at and Nick, as you've talked about people who are asking hard questions and uh, difficult questions and be able to, to bring the word of God to bear, uh, to their those things that they're that they're wrestling with and asking about and to do the work of an evangelist. So I, you know, I really do think you can categorize the pastor's duties along the lines of prayer and the word, but there's there's a a, a multiplicity of expressions of that in the life of the church. Yeah, and I think partly like the question's intentional because I think a lot of people have this idea that preaching is just one category of a pastor yeah. and yeah. he has all these other things that he's working on and ministries and all these things that are, are are fine and decent but so many things that kind of compete with time for the the sermon right. and you right. wonder if it maybe affects their preaching affects yeah sure. how they bring the word if there's so many other things that they're worrying about versus primarily right. prayer and preaching and then things right. come from below that yeah well and i think so that, that's a real problem that can be a real problem either for the pastor sometimes you have pastors who for uh, one reason or another want to do everything and it does detract from their from the ministry of the word from preaching and then you've got uh, leaders or congregations who want their pastor to do everything and it does detract from it and there's a reason that the lord gave different kinds of officers and different kinds of gifts to his church so for example in acts chapter six and in, in what you see as at least uh, if, if not the uh, inauguration of the diaconal office, the incipient uh, office of the diaconate, because the prayer and the preaching of the word was the primary priority for the apostles, the Lord raised up an entire other class of officers to take care of the temporal needs and the mercy needs. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, you see that he's given gifts to each one. And so I don't think that that, that, that should be used as a pastor saying, well, I just don't do those kind of things. Those are important things. But the pastor can get himself um, uh, uh, doing every, every important thing in the church rather than through the ministry of the word, equipping others to do those other important ministries so as they get done. Um, and so I think the analogy of the body, I think the fact that where you kind of started this interview with the offices, there are, there's more than one office in the church. And those offices need to be functioning for a whole healthy ministry to be taking place. And, uh, but the other side of that is, I think if pastors can see the other things they need to do as extensions of the ministry of the word, um, uh, then, it, then it, it's, it's less of, well, this is kind of bolted onto my ministry. It's more of this, this is the organic outflow of my ministry of the word. Yeah, that's good. Is there anything that, we didn't get to cover that you were looking forward to bringing up any any final thoughts or words you know uh nick one of the things i'm thinking about as we've been doing this interview uh you mentioned that there you have friends who listen to this that uh, may either not know the lord jesus or uh there are christians who are listening to who are what were you guys talking about about all this reform stuff what does that mean and so if i could quickly say two things um so i did not grow uh i did not grow up uh, in a christian home my parents came to faith later 
I was, I came to faith in Jesus when I was 13 years old. And it was through a presentation where I realized that I was a sinner, that Jesus Christ died for sinners. And that if I did not believe in the Lord Jesus, I would sit under the wrath of God for all eternity in hell. But that in this, pre this gospel presentation I was being given in that evening, I was being called to believe in Jesus Christ. And so the gospel uh, is that Jesus Christ has died for sinners, been raised for sinners, and that everyone who believes in him will be saved. Uh, and I would want everybody to know that and at least, at least ask questions about it and at least um, uh, reach out and say, hey, can you tell me more about this kind of a thing? Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the reform thing, here's one of the things that delights me about being reformed. So when I became a believer at 13 years old, it was not in what we call a reform context. And, but it wasn't a biblical context. And it was in a context of people who really did believe the Bible was the word of God. And what I love to tell people is if you stay in the Bible long enough, you preach the Bible long enough, you'll get reformed <laughs> because that's what the Bible teaches. Hmm. And when I came to the reform, reform creeds and confessions, particularly the Westminster Confession, I didn't come to it and go, oh, I want to be reformed. I'd been studying the Bible. I was already a pastor. And when I started reading the Westminster Confession, I went, hey, wait a minute. This is what the Bible teaches. And so for me, it was coming home to, oh, this is biblical theology. So I, what I'd want to say to people is two things. One, if you don't know Jesus, um, you, you've just been given an opportunity to hear that Jesus Christ died for sinners. And that if you'll believe, he will not disappoint you. He will forgive your sins and he'll give you eternal life. And if you're listening to this and you're wondering what this whole reform thing is, it's, I would want to say it's simply this. It's the exposition of the entire biblical doctrine that, uh, uh, in, a, in a systematic way that shows us uh, who God is, what he requires of us, and the way he has ordered salvation, and the way he has ordered uh, his church and its ministries. And the Reformed creeds and confessions are, are wonderful, faithful summaries of that biblical doctrine. That's what we mean when we use that language. And that's really worth exploring if you love Jesus and you love the word. Yeah, love it. Yeah, that's, that's our goal with the podcast is introduce the Reformed faith. And if you guys are hearing this, this is the first time you've heard it or um, you've been listening to the podcast for a little bit. As always, we link the Nate Park on our, our, our show notes. If you guys want to look up a church near your area that that preaches this stuff, that has counseling like this, that has pastors like this, um, reach out to us. We'll help you get connected with the church. If you guys want to find that church locator, contact Nick, contact me. We'll, we'll try to get you guys in and, and learn some of this stuff. And if you guys are already at a Reformed church or at a biblical church, then thank your pastor. Thank him that you're getting the gospel on a week-in, week-out basis. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Curry. God bless. Well, thank you. It's been a, a pleasure to be with you guys and grateful for what you're doing. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Curry.
Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, uh, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world. And how to best do that is rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, and you, after you rate a review or instead of rate and review or doing everything all at once, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Twitter, liking us on Instagram, following us on both of those platforms, because that actually puts in front of people's physical face this podcast, these guests, and most importantly, the gospel, the doctrines uh, that these guests are, are bringing in front of you guys. So please do that. It helps get in front of more people. Amen. And hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing. And uh, after that, after tithing, if you have any means left over, please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy. As again, we bridge the gap to reform Christian <laughs> theology. Exactly. The yeah. And you guys can find that link on anchor our official anchor website if you just go on um, our social media links it'll it'll link you to that website it's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes if you're on this podcast this specific episode scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this for three different options of donating so we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap pay for shipping get nicer stuff all for the focus of spreading the gospel further Yep. All for the kingdom of God. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you guys next time.